Today we're going to be learning from Jesus about something that affects each of us, whether we're young, old, or in between, and that something that affects each of us uh, would be marriage, singleness, and divorce. We will learn today from Jesus about marriage, singleness, and divorce, and that means we're returning to our study of the gospel according to Matthew. So if you have a Bible, you can find chapter 19 of Matthew's gospel account. If you're just joining us, we've been studying this gospel account for some time now. We took a little bit of time off because of the holidays and we're returning and we'll pick it up in chapter 19, which is why we have this topic before us, a very important topic, but it is why we're looking at this particular topic today. What we need to do to acclimate ourselves and to fit in, if you will, to what's going on would be to look at the opening few verses. And so if you would look with me uh, at the opening two verses, we'll be set to go. Matthew 19, verse 1. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Let's pause for just a moment to notice what Jesus is doing here is ordinary if you're Jesus, Okay, If you're Jesus, this is ordinary because this is what he's been doing throughout his adult ministry on earth. Uh, it's extraordinary if you're anyone other than Jesus. So I'm glad we've been away for a little bit of time so we can read it and, and not say, oh yeah, that's what Jesus always does. I, I would like us to read it and, and see that there's large crowds, so there are eyewitnesses before him. They're following him. He's been teaching them. And as it reads in verse 2 at the end, he healed them there. This is what he's been doing. He's been doing this. Why? He's been doing this to prove, to authenticate, to demonstrate before eyewitnesses that he is unique, that he's not one in a million. He's the one and only one ever throughout history who's been like this. So he's not only been teaching, but he also has been doing things like healing as is named here but he's also tied to the healing he's been he's been casting out demons from people who are oppressed by evil spirits he's been helping them in that way uh, he's been raising the dead helping them in that way he's been doing this again and again and again and again ordinary for him extraordinary for human history never been done before He is therefore the Christ. He's been doing these things to prove that he's the Christ. Christ, the Messiah. It means king, anointed one. And throughout Israel's history, they've had many kings, some good, some not so good. But even the best of the best of the kings have not been perfect and have not, certainly not, done the kinds of things he's been doing. He's showing himself to be in no way, shape, or form a selfish tyrant kind of king. He's been doing what kings are supposed to do. They're supposed to deliver the people from oppression. They're supposed to protect the people. They're supposed to provide for the people. It even takes us back to chapter 1, verse 21, his namesake that I always mention. He's named Jesus because he will save his people, think deliver his people from their sins. The greatest oppressor the greatest oppression. And not only that, we're seeing, not only that, is that the case, he's been delivering the people from sin, yes, but sin and its 
effects. Suffering, pain, death, oppression. I'm really emphasizing this for two reasons. We haven't been here in a while. But also I'm emphasizing it so that you can see great, awesome, majestic. He's the one. So that what should the response be? The response should be repentance, should be trusting in him, should be praising him. I mean, they should, if they could, break out in the hallelujah chorus. Read verse 3. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Say what? What? What what planet are you from? What what kind of spiritual bizarro world are you coming from? This is this is nuts. This is absolutely does not compute, does not compute, does not compute on a spiritual level. And I purposely wanted to read one and two the way I did and, and emphasize it the way I did so you can see how ridiculous this is. It's no wonder that in John chapter 1, it says, He came to His own and His own what? Received Him not. This is crazy, absolute crazy land for this to be happening. They they, want to, what? Talk about left field. This is crazy. Now, we might not know exactly what is going on here, other than they're spiritually deaf, dumb, and blind. But they, they want to change the subject, which is crazy, and they want to know where Jesus is on a huge, hot debate in Judaism at the time. There are two schools of thought about divorce among the Jews at this point in time, and it's a hotly contested issue. And in essence, can you divorce your spouse for pretty much any reason? Or... Are there certain specifics that are required for a marriage covenant to be broken? It's not a bad question, the question they're asking. And Jesus is going to answer it. But he's not going to answer it right away. Jesus is going to say, hold your horses. Well, not really, but you get the idea. And what Jesus is going to do for three verses is put on what I'm going to call a marriage seminar. Okay? You, you, you Pharisee clowns who don't see me for who I am, which is kind of the whole point. Uh, not only that, you should be amazed at, at marriage that God has given you. And instead, well, all you want to talk about is how to get out of it and have a fun theological debate about it and be divisive. And so Jesus in verses four, five, and six speaks positively truthfully, wonderfully about marriage. And so what we're going to do today is only look at those verses and hopefully speak positively, truthfully, and hopefully wonderfully about marriage. And then we'll get to the controversy because he does it later. So we won't get to it today. Uh, And then we'll get to singleness, which he says some pretty uh, important and significant things about singleness here as well, which should encourage you if you're single. But for now... Here's my outline. Seven important specifics about marriage. Seven important specifics about marriage from the one who knows more about marriage than anyone. Okay? So, talk about a seminar. Okay? So, seven important specifics about marriage from the one who knows more about marriage than anyone. Was Jesus ever married? Trick question. We'll talk about it later. 
number one. Ready? Number one. The first marriage specific is the Bible is the trustworthy authority. The Bible is the trustworthy authority. It is for Jesus, and that's good enough for me because I'm a Christian. But how about verse 4 when Jesus says, He answered, Have you not read? It's definitely a rebuke, not the first time or the last time Jesus will say this to supposed Bible experts. Of course they've read. They've read it a bazillion times, if it's possible. They claim to be Bible experts, right? And so, But Jesus confronts them and, and challenges them. Have you not read? Haven't you, haven't you read the Bible? And then he quotes, not a current philosopher, not someone from, you know, Joseph's era or Joseph's father's era. Uh, he quotes a source that's thousands upon thousands of years old and he quotes it as the authority. He quotes the Bible. How about that? He quotes Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. How about that? Old can mean antiquated and out of date. But in this case, if it's old enough, it can be eternal and timeless and always relevant. I want you to know that I'm trying to be Captain Obvious here. Jesus quotes the Bible as true, as authoritative, and as morally binding. That's what Jesus does. And as a Christian, I'm with him. <laughs> okay? As a Christian, that means I've attached myself to Christ. And, and so if the Bible is the authoritative, true, important, morally binding book for Jesus, it is for me too. And I want to encourage you, if you're a Christian, it is for you too. It's really quite amazing. I I have multiple reasons for believing the Bible is true. Top of my list is because Jesus thinks the Bible is true. Jesus, the one and only one who's raised from the dead amongst all religious leaders. Jesus has been raised from the dead. And by the way, he's not raised from the dead yet, I know. But even after he's raised from the dead, wait for it. He still believes the Bible is true. (laughs) Okay? So where do we go to answer truthful, important, significant, morally binding questions about marriage? For Christians, we, we, we say, well, we've read. We've read. He says, have you not read? And then he quotes Genesis chapter 2. Before we move on, I'll go on record as saying the Bible doesn't say everything about marriage. If it did, we wouldn't need to pray for wisdom, right? We wouldn't need older to teach younger so we can gain wisdom. The Bible doesn't say everything there is to know, but everything the Bible says is true and everything the Bible says is important and it is morally binding here according to Jesus and it should not be ignored It only is ignored at people's peril. Ready to move on? Let's move on to number two. The number, the marriage specific number two is the creator knows best. The creator knows best. We find it in verse four as well. When Jesus says, he, God, who created, and 
If you create, you have to design unless you create chaos, which he does not. There's an order in the world. So he who created the designer, he who created them from the beginning. So this isn't 2.0 redo. Jesus even here is still relying upon the one who created them from the beginning. And if we want to just sandwich that, if you will, at the end, has joined together, let no man separate. So has joined together. He's taking first Man, first woman, joining them together, and he's using that as the example for marriage, even for what happens thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years later. Creator's, creator knows best. Designer knows best. If we want to know what's true and good and right and best for marriage, it'd be a good idea to consult the one who made marriage, the one who made human beings. That's how Jesus is thinking. Jesus is very reasonable. Okay? He's very reasonable. Go back to what God said. Go back to what God said. We might come up with a different way. It'll never be the right way. It'll never be the best way. He's the one who made it to begin with. I know this is kind of Captain Obvious stuff. But let's step back and say, huh, isn't that something to be that basic? They can't even see straight. They're so consumed with this theological debate. It seems like marriage is the last thing on their mind, even though they're consumed with this topic. Hey, wait a second, guys. If we want to learn about marriage, we should go and see what God says, not Rabbi so-and-so. What does God say about it? If you know me very well, or if you don't, I'll tell you, I, um, I love bicycles. Um, I'm addicted to bicycles. I used to say it's cheaper than drugs, but I'm not so sure anymore. Uh, <laughs> I, I love bicycles. And I fancy myself as being maybe an okay personal mechanic for my bikes. And my kids have bikes and we have so many bikes. And I'm always trying to fix something, replace something, do something to something. And sometimes I, I don't get it right. Sometimes I do. And sometimes I have to take my, my bicycle to the person who built it. Let's call him Dan, because that's his name, because he's a member of our church. So uh, on more than one occasion, I've had to bring my bike into the shop, and, and Dan will fix something on my bike, and he'll say something like, do you know you have the sprocket on backwards? <laughs> uh, no, I didn't. <laughs> I want to say, yeah, I did. It's better that way, or something. <laughs> he's the one who built my bike. He knows more about how to make it right than I do. He built the bike. And time and time again, I would bring it to him and he'd say, you have this wrong. We have to fix this so it works right. So it's just an illustration for me and my biking friends, but you can all relate to it. You can all understand because we've all had things that didn't work the way they were supposed to. Maybe we even thought they were broken. And then we take it back to the dealership and they show you actually how to do it. Or you consult the owner's manual created by the designers and you're like, oh, it works after all. Just illustrations, but Jesus takes them back to the Creator to learn the truth about marriage. And I think it would be really good for us in the 21st century even to say it would be really good for us to constantly go back to the Creator to see what He says about marriage if we actually want to know what's true, what's right, what's honorable, what's best, and what will cause it to work the way it can work. Okay, let's move on to the next one. The next one 
I did have one more illustration about that. I should probably, no, let's move on to the next one. You, or do you guys need a little bit of a break? You need a little bit of a break? Okay. Yeah, I'm giving you a break. The first two hours got breaks, but I have to look at the cutting room floor of my notes uh, all the way to page 21. Okay. You guys heard the one about Adam and the rib? Here you go. Well, as you know, in the beginning, God made Adam and put him in paradise. Adam was allowed to enjoy all the many wonders of the Garden of Eden and was given the job of naming all the animals. But after he had named them, rather a long task, he got bored. He wanted some company, someone he could talk to and impress. God understood the situation perfectly. I can see that you're lonely, he said to Adam. Let me make a woman for you. What's a woman? asked Adam. A woman will love and adore you. She'll cook perfect meals and always look nice. She'll laugh at all your jokes and she'll never complain. That's wonderful, said Adam with enthusiasm. But she sounds very expensive. What will she cost me? Ah, replied God, a woman like that will cost you an arm and a leg. Adam considered this carefully for a moment, then turned back to his maker, what will I get for one rib? There's a little overflow laugh there. Number three on our list. Marriage, marriage specific number three, marriage is good. Marriage is good. Now, I want, I'm going to read a text from Jesus, and I want you to, to figure out how I got good out of that or out of this. How about verse 4? I'm, I'm suggesting that marriage is good according to the Bible, but notice what it says in verse 4. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said... Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Why would I read that and say, point number three is, marriage is good? Well, because God created it, right? That's one reason. Uh, it's pre-fall. That's another reason. But not only that, some, some of you are thinking in these terms, when God creates everything, He pronounces everything He's created, including husband and wife, man and woman, what? Good. And not only does He say good, He says what? He says very good. And so God, having created man and woman, bringing them together, pronounces upon His work, He says, it is very good. And so I think we should say marriage is very good. Let's change the notes. Not just good, very good. Now please notice what I didn't say. I didn't say all marriages are very good. Because they're not. That's why this question was asked to Jesus. And you know, and I know, and some of you know more than others know, marriage can be very bad. And lots of pain and hurt and difficulty. That's not really the focus today, though we'll get there when we talk about this next week and we talk about what Jesus says about divorce. But for now, Genesis 131, and behold, it was very good. And so we need to think, regardless of what our 
listening, watching, talking in our ear world says, marriage, according to God, is good, very good. My, my life verse is Proverbs 18. If you find a wife, you found a good thing, okay? I found favor with the Lord. It's positive. It's good. Marriage, marriage is good. It's from God. It's positive. It's a good thing. Every wedding ceremony I've ever officiated, I think, no, I'm, I'm confident, I've quoted Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, and I've said, let marriage be held in honor among all. That also speaks of its goodness. Let marriage be held in honor among all. And usually what I'll do in a wedding ceremony is I'll say, it's so good today that we who are Christians can be thankful that, insert bride's name, uh, again, can be thankful that, insert groom's name, we can be thankful that they are entering into an intimate relationship according to the will of God. By being married, they're entering into this relationship according to the will of God. Let marriage be held in honor among all. Marriage is good. Marriage is positive. Now, what I don't ever do is read the rest of the verse because it's not really the day for that. I might read the rest of the verse in premarital counseling. I might read it here because it's also true. I'll read it now. It says, after the comma, and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Oh, there's a negative sting to the whole thing. Marriage, intimate relationships are for a marriage between a man and a woman. Don't go elsewhere because it's not a good look. It's sinful. It's wrong. It's bad. But that's not what we're emphasizing this morning. Marriage is good. It's very good. Sadly, lots of people tell us it's not so good and it's optional. There are other things that are against marriage. We've made it so expensive to be married that lots of people say they're not going to get married until they can afford it. Last I checked, and it was yesterday... In 2019, the average price for a wedding in America is $33,900. Say what? <laughs> we, I, think, I don't know what we charge here anymore because I'm not really involved in those things and it's not for me. I think we charge $100, maybe $150, and that's for replacing broken vases and water pitchers or whatever it is. Um, and, and if somebody didn't have the hundred bucks, we would be happy to have them get married. If they want to get married and enter into an intimate relationship according to the will of God, um, I think we've even had weddings in our library before. Um, so let's do our part to the degree that we can. Uh, it's serious, it's sober, it's not something to be entered into lightheartedly, but let's do our part if we can. If marriage is good and someone wants to do a good thing the right way to honor the Lord... Let's encourage it. Absolutely encourage it. It's good. I hope my kids have concluded, even though dad is a sinner and mom is less of a sinner, but she is a sinner, that marriage is good. Not only because the Bible would teach that, but because it's been good for them. It's been good for their mom and good for their dad. Well, there are lots of things that are against marriage in our day. Uh, I won't get into any more of them. I just at least wanted to mention a couple of things. Number four on our list, marriage specific number four, marriage is for a male and a female. Marriage is for a male and a female. Jesus says in verse four, have you not read 
that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female. And then if we drop down to verse 6, he says, What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. So God joins together in marriage. We'll get to that later. But he joins together in marriage, male and female. So there are males and there are females. And marriage is for males and females according to the way that God made the world. One in five evangelicals surveyed in 2020 don't believe that there are males and females. I might question whether or not they're evangelicals. But it's actually better than it was in 2016 because in 2016, one out of every three evangelicals didn't believe in males and females. So maybe we're doing a better job. Um, I'm a Christian. I believe what Jesus says. I, I, I'm morally obligated to. Even when it's controversial. Re- remember when Jesus said something controversial in John chapter 6? So controversial that in John 666, easy to remember, in John 666, it says something to the effect that many of his disciples didn't follow him anymore. Too controversial for the day. It was about a different topic, but too controversial for the day, so they went chicken exit, okay? They pushed the eject button. Jesus, Jesus, not trying to sell things to anybody, says to the disciples, do you guys want to leave too? Remember that? I love the response. Peter says a lot of weird things. (laughs) I love his response. I think it was Peter, one of the disciples. To whom shall we go? You, remember what he says? You, Jesus, have the words of eternal life. For us to leave you because of a controversy in our culture would be for us to leave the Savior. And that would really be spiritually ridiculous. So, by me saying there are males and there are females, some would say I've committed hate speech. And some would want it to be illegal. I think it perhaps is in some places other than our country at this point. As long as I'm a Christian, I'm going to have to agree with Jesus. And as long as you're a Christian, you're going to have to agree with Jesus. Or it doesn't even make sense. It doesn't even make sense. The eternal, all-wise, all-knowing one says, From the beginning, God made them male and female. I think you should agree. Doesn't mean you have to be a jerk about it. Doesn't mean you can't be kind and compassionate toward those who are confused about it or those who hate it. I'm thankful that people were kind and compassionate enough enough to me to tell me the truth about my sin, though it was a different kind of sin. Because if I didn't know I had sin, I would never know I needed a substitutionary Savior. So my prayer for you is that you would be wise and you would be thoughtful and you would be kind and compassionate and you would be clear to speak what God says, including His law, His requirements, His truth, because it is truth. And then you'll have a platform to be kind and compassionate and thoughtful enough to tell people the gospel, the good news of how to be forgiven for being a lawbreaker. And all of us are. All of us are. God's good creation of a man and a woman 
for marriage is for a man and for a woman. Interesting days ahead, I suppose. If the Lord gives us enough birthdays, if the Lord allows us to do ministry long enough, interesting to think about what conflict we might experience. But you know what else? Interesting to think of the kind of ministry that we'll be able to have in people's lives who have been misled and confused by sin. Maybe some really good opportunities. I hope so. I love to help people understand how to be saved from their sin. I'm thankful that people have helped me to do that as well. Let's move on to number five. We're doing seven of these, so we better speed it up just a little bit. Marriage-specific number five. Marriage creates a new union. This is going to be remarkable. It creates a new union. Verse five, Jesus quotes and says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's where I got the union idea. One flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. That, that kind of sounds weird. I didn't say bad. I said weird. Okay, because marriage is good, but, but it's kind of weird sounding. The two shall become one flesh. And, and I can get my mind around the, the physical union that happens with a husband and a wife, a man and a woman. I can get my mind around that, and it certainly includes that. But he, he then goes on to say that this is to not be separated. So we know he's, he's not just talking about the physical, because that would be ridiculous. He, he's talking something beyond the physical union, and it's not to be separated by human beings because he's the one that, that does it. And that's what I say. That sounds kind of weird. So a woman comes from a certain background in a family, and a man comes from a certain background in a family, and then they, 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 they get married in time, and, and now they're one flesh. And they're to live like one flesh, and they're to, to, to stay living as one flesh. How does that work? It's probably pretty hard. <laughs> well, I'm supposed to live with my wife in a way that we're, we're I hope I'm not embellishing too much, kind of like we're one person. Fascinating. So we work together, we complement each other, we get along. But supernaturally, we've been connected by God in something that we can't even see. One ancient Near Eastern scholar made this observation. In other words, God says when a couple get married, they must leave their parents' home and set up a new home of their own. Here's what I thought was fascinating. This sounds like very simple advice, but it is effective and, in fact, was quite countercultural for people of Old Testament times. Now, I don't know if he's right or not. I'm taking his word for it right now, given what he's studied and the degrees he's completed. Countercultural. Instead of just staying with the in-laws as they used to do back in the day <laughs> in some cultures, he's making the observation that actually um, this is different than would be ordinary, which I think is kind of fascinating. Now, I'm glad ancient Near Eastern scholars also have a sense of humor because he goes on to say, two adults have more than enough trouble living together happily without 24 hours a day of helpful comments from their parents. <laughs> so, uh, true that. <laughs> I 
it is this union. One more thing about this um, that I think might be helpful. It, it is noteworthy that if you're leaving a family and you're leaving a family, that's not casual. I mean, that's a big deal. That's a big break to leave the family and to leave the family and now to become one flesh and to stay one flesh. And so it, it's with good reason that, uh, th- that we would call that formal. It's, it's with good reason that we would call marriage a covenant like Malachi chapter 2 does. Malachi 2 says marriage is covenant. So it's a, it's a formal relationship, okay? And it's interesting to me how just how covenantal it still is even in the 21st century oftentimes. So you're going to leave and leave and cleave, as we say, one flesh. Um, you're going to exchange oaths. We might call them vows. That's covenantal talk. Uh, not only that, that we do it before witnesses, like you would in the ancient Near East when you're making a covenant. Um, we exchange rings in our culture like exchanging gifts, which would be common in a covenantal kind of ceremony. And there are serious consequences if there's a violation of the covenantal relationship. Like in marriage, there are consequences. Kind of fascinating. We'll talk more about some of those things, I think, next week when we talk about Old Testament examples and if and when the marriage covenant can be broken. So we'll talk about that next week. But I think it's kind of fascinating. Uh, It's not a casual relationship. It's a formal relationship. Uh, My wife would tell me that doesn't sound very romantic. Uh, (laughs) And it's not. But two things can be true at the same time. It's a formal relationship. It's a covenantal relationship. And it can be romantic. So just covering my bases. Make everybody happy. (laughs) Laughter Let's move on to number six. We're doing seven. Marriage, specific number six. Marriage is a God-ordained union. We can do this one quickly because we just saw it is a new union. It is a God-ordained union. I just wanted to stress this in, in verse six. What therefore God has joined together. So the joining together is done by God. It is a God-ordained, one flesh joined together by God kind of union. And that is good to mention because it's, for me, a oh kind of moment. Wow. Maybe I just thought that was just true with Adam and Eve. But in reality, Jesus is drawing upon Adam and Eve, but he's speaking thousands of years later, talking about marriage, and he's saying what God joins together... Oh, it's a God-ordained union. Sometimes I say to couples, if I'm officiating their wedding, or I'll say to those who are there as witnesses of the covenantal ceremony, by the way, we all know that now, I'll, I'll say, we, we observe the laws of the land, and we, we say things like, according to the laws of this state, we color within those lines. But I want you to know, everyone who's witnessing, and I want you to know, fill in bride's name, fill in groom's name. It's more than that. If you're getting married today as a man and a woman, God is joining you together. Gulp. On the negative side, because it's serious, kind of scary, but on the positive side, are you kidding me? This is amazing. What else can we say this uh, about in our lives? That, that we know for sure that, that God is the one doing this? 
Sometimes I wonder and I think, and I know he's sovereign and works according to his providence, but, but actually orchestrated uh, according to, you know, a time and a date and we send out invitations. You know, it should say at the bottom, and God will be there. You should be too. <laughs> I mean, so it's scary and cool and frightening and unsettling and a big deal and good. All of these things all wrapped up at the same time. God ordained union. Okay, and then finally, number seven, and you saw where this is going because you already read the end, and so did I in verse six. Marriage specific number seven, marriage is to last. Marriage is to last. This is only reasonable in light of the end of verse six. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. That's where I got the idea of it is to last. Let no man separate. Another gulp moment, big deal moment. Please do notice, it doesn't say that it cannot be separated. Some theologians actually teach that that the marriage covenant cannot be separated. That is not what Jesus says. He, He offers a prohibition. He says, let not man separate. It's a should not prohibition. It's the, it, it, it's, it's intended to last statement. We are going to see that there are biblical grounds for divorce and remarriage according to Jesus and his apostles and according to the Old Testament. We are going to see that. It can be broken. It can be broken, but we're not emphasizing that today. It's meant to be approached and seen and valued as lasting, as positive. If it helps you to think more vividly, think this way. One flesh, don't separate the one flesh. Think about what a bad look it is, a bad visual it is to have flesh separated from flesh. It's not good. There's pain involved. There's suffering involved. It's not the way it's supposed to be when flesh is separated from flesh. I think it's on purpose that he uses it. We're one flesh and don't separate the one flesh. I've had friends and neighbors who have had limbs amputated. I hope a lot of things don't happen to me in my life. I hope that doesn't happen to me. It's a fear of mine. They would say it's not the worst thing in life to have happen to you. But they would say it's not good. And there are consequences. And there's pain. Not a perfect analogy, but Jesus' analogy is don't separate the flesh. It's not ordinary. It's not how it's supposed to be. It's not good. In the days ahead, we are going to ask and answer questions like this. What are the legitimate grounds for divorce and remarriage? We're going to get to that. Next question. What, why do some Bible teachers say there are none? I don't want this to be false advertising. I don't know if I'm going to talk that much about that, but I want you to know there are some Bible teachers that say there's no, there are no biblical grounds for divorce or remarriage. Can't quite get my mind around, around that, even if you read our text. What 
does the Old Testament actually say and not say about divorce and remarriage? It probably says more than a lot of us think. Next question that we're going to consider, how can God hate divorce and himself divorce? Did you, did you hear that? How can God hate divorce, the Bible says he does, and himself divorce, and the Bible says he does? If you don't know that, the, that God divorces, you haven't read your Bible close enough. So we'll talk about that. Next week, if you come here, you will have come to the right place. Okay? How can God hate divorce and himself divorce? What about singleness? Jesus will say intriguing things about that. And how does forgiveness relate to divorce, remarriage, and those things? And we even have some confusion in our own church about things like that. So I'm really happy to talk about things like that, even though these are painful things. Final question relating to this. In this world that we live in, with with the lives that we live, the people that we are, are there any perfect spouses left? It's a trick question. It's a trick question, isn't it? Of course there aren't. Right? It's, it's, it's why we say things like, well, we write books and we say, we call it, what did you expect? Right? When two sinners say, I do. Perfect spot. We're all sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. It's not good. Doesn't mean we don't try to look for the right person. Doesn't mean we don't pray for wisdom. It doesn't mean we care about character, don't care about character. We do all those things. But where I'm going with you in all of this is, the Bible teaches there is a perfect groom and the Bible teaches there is a perfect bride. We have it on good authority. Christ, the groom, loved the church, the bride, and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church, the bride, to himself, the groom, in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she, the bride, might be holy and without blemish this is good news for sinners right we are the bride of christ the bible teaches we are the bride of christ and we are a perfect bride not because of us but because of what he does okay so we can all look forward regardless if if we're single we're married divorced other, if there is a other category i'm not sure we can all look forward to one day a perfect wedding and it's not going to cost 33.9. It costs far more. It costs far more. And we can say, hallelujah, what a savior we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for this morning and thank you for Omaha Bible Church and for other churches around the, the entire planet where Christ is preached so that people can find forgiveness and hope and reconciliation and comfort and joy and motivation. Lord, I pray this morning for those who are here who are single, encourage them, use them in the body of Christ like you can't use other people. Supernaturally give them contentment. Lord, also I pray for those who are married that you would use them in their marriage, whether they're married to a believer or an unbeliever. 
that there would be a dependence upon Christ, a unique motivation even in light of the things we've talked about today where there's pain and suffering and hurt that you might give them wisdom even through the sermon series, certainly through your word and also, Lord, for those who are divorced, that you might encourage them. You might encourage them by what Jesus says and they might be able to think clearly about what Jesus says even as we look next week. Lord, in the meantime, Encourage us, encourage us that we have a perfect Savior in Jesus Christ who makes us perfect because of what He does. And now as we prepare to eat and drink in remembrance of Christ, use it supernaturally by the power of the Spirit to remind us of forgiveness, hope, reconciliation, not in ourselves, but in Him. In Jesus' name, amen.